Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's time. Time for stimulating talk. Time for thought-provoking conversation. Time for the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. Turn on your brain and get the real scoop on today's topics and events. Here is Lisa Wexler. Hello and good morning. It's a great day to be alive. The air is so beautiful and crisp and fall and yummy. 203-333-9422. Hello and welcome. We've got a ton of guests on for the show for you today. But before we get to that, I just want to tell you that the biggest news story is really the story that thankfully wasn't, which is that the White House, the Biden administration, and Biden personally here and there was calling in. Uh, they were able to force the railroad workers and the powers that be on the other side of the union contract to sit down and avert a pending strike. And just so you know how significant this was going to be, Amtrak had already announced that they were going to cancel weeks of trains, not necessarily in the Northeast Corridor, but the rest of the country. And probably most significantly and importantly, freight trains that are used to carry coal and supplies that are the backbone and real infrastructure of this entire country were anticipating coming to a screeching halt if the strike was not going to be averted. So thankfully it was. Congrats to those people who made it work. 20 hours of nonstop talks in the wee small hours of the morning. They were able to announce a tentative deal. I really don't think the details of the deal are particularly important to you or me. The bottom line is that there is a deal, and this railroad strike has been averted. So I really consider that... um, I really consider that a coup, a plus one for the administration for getting in there and not doing the 2020 hindsight, Uh, because the 2020 hindsight isn't that much fun. You know, one of our top stories today has to do with the merger of People's Bank and M&T, and it looks like the attorney general has been asked to investigate what's going on there, because it has been handled so clumsily, so poorly, 
Uh, and there are so many very specific complaints that people now have about the way in which they couldn't access their money for days at a time, maybe more than days at a time. I can tell you as a People's Bank customer who is hostage to all of this that I am very annoyed, I'm very distressed personally, that I cannot see my online transactions. I don't understand why our banking commissioner in Connecticut allowed that as part of the merger. You know, when a merger goes forward, it's supposed to be something that as customers we are not particularly aware of. It's supposed to be pretty seamless. Well, this was the opposite of seamless. I know people from uh, my profession who are professional conservators who complained that their, uh, their access to individual client conserved person's accounts was completely shut off, that people said that who were conserved <clears throat> that they are in charge of as a fiduciary, they got nervous and upset because they couldn't use their ATM, and they depend on their $1,500 here or there. That's what they used to eat. That's what they used to buy a, ba- you know, a carton of cigarettes. That's what they used to get through their day. And they didn't have access to their money, and there wasn't anything the conservators could do about it. And this happened again and again throughout the state of Connecticut. I think a lot of people, like myself, were counting on the powers that be that allow these mergers to go forward to make it happen in a way that you and I wouldn't feel it as customers of People's Bank, but it didn't happen that way. And welcome back to me here live. Uh, I'm Lisa Wexler. Hello and good morning. Sorry to interrupt myself, but I want to bring to your attention our next guest, Jody Latina, who is the political affairs reporter for WTNH. She is somebody who truly uh, knows everything that is going on in the political landscape here in Connecticut for many, many years, having had various positions, sometimes with individual political campaigns, and for the last couple of years doing a bang-up job on WTNH. Jody, hello. Welcome back to the show. So nice to chat with you today. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm great. So listen, the poll that WTNH and Emerson College um, sponsored is really gotten a lot of conversation, particularly here on WICC throughout the week. And I'm very happy that you're coming on today to talk about uh, the poll itself and what you think are the takeaways that the rest of us really need to be paying attention to. I'm, I'm not sure, Jody, personally, I never look at a poll as particularly predictive, but I do look at it as a snapshot. And I find that snapshots are also very, you know, important and interesting for us to take a look at ourselves. So tell us a little bit about the poll, how many people were polled what kind of voters were polled. You tell us, Jody. Sure. And a snapshot is definitely a good way to look at it. We, we just want to remind people that, you know, we did one in May. We're doing one this week. We're going to do another one in October. And you take those, you know, all together and you look for the trends. And obviously you go into the, the ballot box with whatever's in your heart, who you align with. Um, but we did a survey with Emerson and The Hill, and we uh, surveyed 1,000 people. We did online, we did live calling, and we also did texting. The uh, margin of error was plus or minus 3%. Um, I can tell you the top lines in the governor's race, Governor Lamont leads by a 10 percentage point margin. That has closed a bit from our last poll back in May. Um, He dropped about two percentage points to Bob Stefanowski. The top line on the U.S. Senate race uh, was that uh, Richard Blumenthal, the incumbent Democrat, is leading by 13 percentage points over Republican Leora Levy. This is the first time matchup for both of these folks. 
Okay. That one has also closed the gap since May by three percentage points. And today we revealed numbers on what issues are most important to the voters and what's driving them to the polls this Mm. election. Okay. So let me just ask you one thing before we get to that, Jody. Who are the 1,000 voters? I see that it says likely voters. Is that on the basis of the fact that the people polled are people that have actually voted in the last, I don't know, two or three election cycles? How do you determine a likely voter? These are registered voters. So it's Democrats, Republicans, unaffiliated. And yeah, they have to be registered. They answer a few questions from the pollster about when was the last time they voted, Um, And you kind of go from there. So these are likely voters, the folks that we believe will go into the ballot box. Okay. And do you do you survey people in terms of the um, proportion, the ratio of Democrats to Republicans to unaffiliates in the state? It's a random sample, but when you drill down into the cross tabs, it does mirror our registration here in the state. And we all know unaffiliated voters are the largest voting block. Then it goes Democrats, and then it goes Republicans. Okay. All right. So uh, so let's hear more. So today you're revealing the issues. So Jody Latina from WTNH, what are the issues that Connecticut voters are telling you they care about? So not surprising, economy comes out on top. 40.2% of our respondents said that was the most important issue to them. Next in line was threat to democracy. That was 14.7% of folks. Healthcare coming in at 10.4%. Abortion access, 7.3%. And then other issues, 6.9%. And then down the line on the bottom, Interestingly, crime, gun control, education, housing, and concerns over COVID all came in at under 5%. So how do you sync that with the fact that another question in the poll, which is whether or not people thought Connecticut was going in the right direction, a healthy majority of people in Connecticut, a surprising one, frankly, thought that Connecticut was moving in the right direction. So where does that tell you as a newscaster, as a pollster about that? Well, it's interesting because it was almost evenly split. I think it was maybe a 3 to 5% difference in right direction, wrong direction. So I know the governor commented that he was happy that folks thought the state was moving in the right direction. That obviously gives him an incentive because he feels as though his policies are the ones that are working and moving the state in the right direction. Now, when you drill down, you look at the unaffiliated voting block, those folks A majority of them, I would say it was about 56 percent, said they thought that the state was on the wrong track, which is also very interesting because that's saying that the largest voting bloc is very concerned over where we're going. So you really, those crosstabs are pretty interesting when you Mm. kind of drill down and you see exactly what people are talking about. Now, with the economy being the top issue, these folks are obviously responding to the fact that it's a pocketbook thing, right? Every election cycle, we talk about this. How much are you paying for bills? What is your mortgage like? What is your rent like? Increasing um, inflation is hurting everybody across the country. And this week, those numbers did not come down. The Dow went tumbling. That's a bad thing, our pollster says, for anyone who is currently in office. So the Mm -hmm. Democrats have to worry about the economy. The thing that the Republicans have to worry about is in this poll, abortion access pulled 7.3% among an issue that voters want 
to um, care about when they go into the box. But interestingly, the Supreme Court overturning of Roe versus Wade is really pushing voters to the box as well. We have female voters disapproving um, of the the majority of them, 59.9% disapprove of that overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, only 27.3% approve of it. When you drill down into the party affiliation of those who oppose the decision, you have Democrats overwhelmingly behind that number. A third of Republicans say they disapprove of it too. And the unaffiliated, 54.5%. So it's one of those issues that though folks maybe were sitting on the sidelines might now be galvanized to go into uh, vote for a candidate that they believe is going to align with their beliefs. And this is notwithstanding the fact that Connecticut back in May, anticipating the overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, started a trend. We're chatting with Joey Latina of WTNH by passing a bill that essentially protects Connecticut doctors from uh, performing abortions in terms of shielding them from liability, even if they do an abortion on someone who comes in from out of state. Incidentally, Jody, I did a deep dive into that this morning. I don't know if you know, but Connecticut was the first state back in May to pass this kind of a shield law. Do you know that it was already followed by New York, by Delaware, by Massachusetts, Uh, I think maybe even Rhode Island, but I'm not sure. But a whole bunch of states have basically, and some of them have gone further than Connecticut. So it's just very interesting in all of this that Connecticut seems to have started a trend. It is. And I know that, um, you know, in our state, we have codified law. And interestingly enough, you know, both of the candidates that are running for governor are pro-choice. It doesn't Mm -hmm. get talked about a lot. But they're both pro-choice, so both Lamont and Stefanowski agree on that position. Where they differ, and this is where voters have to educate themselves, Stefanowski says he would like parental notification of anyone who's 16 years or younger who seeks to go in for an abortion. Governor Lamont has said he doesn't believe government should be involved in that decision. So there are varying levels of what people believe on this issue, Mm -hmm. and I think that's What's most interesting, and, you know, when you look into our poll, it's it's interesting to say that, you know, nearly six in 10 our voters are highly motivated who are going to go in and they're going to vote because of that Supreme Court decision. So it's really cascading into this midterm. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And in terms of women, uh, Jody Latina, how many more women than men are likely to be voting this year? Do we know? Uh, I saw a report, this is not to do with our poll, but I saw a report earlier this summer that said that more women are registering to vote. Those who had sat out before are actually going in and registering under whichever party they believe in, and they're going to go to the ballot box. Um, A majority, our poll found that a majority of people that are highly motivated are over 50 year old. Yeah, you know something, I, I understand I'm over 50. I don't know if you are, but I am. And, I'm uh, at 50. You're Fabulous at 50. 50 Lisa. <laughs> you know what? The 50s, I mean, I'm just starting my 60s, but the 50s were my best decade, Jody. My best. Nice. I did the most. I enjoyed the most. I, I felt I was in full flower of all of my faculties and ambitions. It's a great 10 years. Enjoy it. I mean, really, it's fantastic. Oh. It's great. It's awesome. great. And anyway, and congrats to you for, you know, it's a big birthday. But, um, but anyway, um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me because it's the women over 50, 
and the older you get, the more they remember what the world was like before Roe v. Wade. And Mm. it's, I really think that I know in my mom's generation and all her friends and they're in their eighties, but even among my very close friends in their seventies, they, they were raised on this idea that America had turned the corner in terms of women's equality and opportunity. And that began with being able to make a choice about when you were going to have children and how many children you were going to have. And that was just like a very big theme for me in my own household growing up, you know, that that in order for women to take their full place in society, women had to be able to decide when and how many children they were going to have, period, end. And so Mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade was seen as a very signature piece of legislation. You know, it was a a Supreme Court decision, but it was was just a, a, a seismic change in the way women saw themselves as being able to move forward and take their place in American society. And I know, I know the issue of abortion is something very controversial to some people. And, you know, there are a lot of people who can't stand the idea, but the idea of choice is what animated a lot of women over 50. And I'm not surprised, Jody, that they're coming back to the polls and they're coming back to this issue. It doesn't surprise me at all. Sure, sure. No, it's an important um, era in time, and I'm, I'm glad that you reminded uh, me and your listeners of it because for those who weren't around during that time, you can't um, understand um, why this is so passionate for folks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So your takeaway, Jody Latina, in terms of the races, in terms of the incumbents, what you're seeing, is any incumbent in terms of a state office uh, – you know, really at risk of losing their position right now based on what you're seeing in this poll? What do you think? You know, it doesn't appear that way. Um, But again, depending on how this economy reacts before November the 8th, those those incumbents really do need to, uh, you know, watch over their shoulders, so to speak. Our pollster was making the point that if gas prices go back up, if food remains high, if the cost of medications remain high, those are things that voters will likely blame those who are in office for. Whether they have any you know, say in the matter or not, that's just generally how people treat it. So again, if you're, if you're watching the economy, that's going to be a bellwether for anyone who is currently in office. Um, and in an odd way, Republicans are trying to capitalize on it. They're trying to make the issue that, you know, put us in office, give us a chance, we will pass policies that will make it more affordable to live in the state. So it's going to be interesting to see how all of this shakes out. Yeah, it really is, because on the one hand, people who are collecting Social Security, which is 70 million Americans, are getting an over 8% increase because of the inflation. But on the other hand, inflation eats away at your purchasing power for every dollar. So it's, um, and I'm not sure what any individual politician can do about it. I mean, the market crashed a couple of days ago, went down, what, 1,200 points? You know, what are they supposed to do? I, you know, I, I don't know. If I'm an individual politician, I'm thinking, uh, you know, I guess I go up or down with the ship depending upon larger, larger events that I really have no control over. It's tough. It's very tough. It is. It's hard. It's hard to be a policymaker. Um, what is interesting is there are different schools of thought. You know, could we have suspended the gas tax earlier in our state? Could we mm. have suspended the diesel tax? 
Um, there were some provisions that went through the legislature this past year about, you know, capping the price of insulin. So there are some measures that politicians can take in order to affect everyday prices that people pay out of their pocketbooks. Um, but you've got to be able to read the tea leaves, too. Let me ask you, Jody Latina, before we let you go from WTNH, was um, was there any polling done with respect to whether or not the legislature as a whole will shift either the assembly or the state Senate in terms of Democrat versus Republican? No, that was not a question. Okay, because I'm wondering how things like 830G and local zoning and issues about school boards, how that's going to play out into votes for individual state reps and state senators. Sure. I mean, locally, I think, um, you know, folks are paying more attention if there's something in their town that has come to the fore. Obviously, we just saw the um, story down in Greenwich and Coscob with the school that's now mm-hmm. under investigation for some yep. of its hiring practices. Yep. So your listeners that live down that way are going to be very keen to what is going on education-wise, and that may that may make them go into the voting booth and choose one way or the other because they would like that representative or senator yeah. to fight for them on that issue. Yeah, I, I'm always interested to see how that's going to play out in November. Jody Latina, thank you so much for drilling down with us a little bit and giving us some insight into this Emerson WTNH poll. Uh, you can be seen regularly on WTNH Channel 8, and we play the Channel 8 broadcast every single day from 6 to 6.30 here on WICC. Uh, Jody Latina, thank you so much for coming on, and give an extra big hug to Tom Dutchick for me. Will you do that? I absolutely will. He is the best guy around. He is the best, and I haven't been there to give him a hug in person in a long time, so I need you to give him an extra hug for me, okay? I will, Lisa. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Jody Latina on the Lisa Wexler Show. We'll be right back. Where Stamford comes first for news and talk. The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC's 600 AM and 107.3 FM. Hola, welcome back to the show. We're switching the conversation around for a bit at 203-333-9422 to talk with our next guest, Sharon Moales, who is a licensed clinical social worker at Yale New Haven Hospital with 40 years of Moles. Okay, with 40 years of experience. Oh, Moles, shall I get it right? Eventually I'll get it right. Sharon, (laughs) I apologize. Eventually I'll get it right. I understand you have 40 years of experience in working with victims of domestic violence and you are the lead social worker at Yale New Haven Hospital, currently in the ER, which I can't imagine what you see. Uh, it must be extraordinary. And I was reading in the Hartford, yeah, I was reading in the Hartford Current, uh, just a general article. You know, there were two separate terrible tragedies that ended in women's deaths that were completely unexpected to their own communities and families. Uh, in which two women were killed in apparent murder suicides by their husbands. And um, it's just unbelievable. And then there was another one, a woman who was kidnapped with her baby and a third was forced out of her home with her baby as her partner shouted at her from a window, leading to a 10-hour police standoff. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. People dying from gunshot wounds, uh, you know, strangulation. It just doesn't end. And domestic violence experts are saying that, you know, for, for me, Sharon, for me as a as a suburbanite for many years, um, and as somebody who lives in an illusion of safety, even though it's been burst occasionally, 
I, I can tell you that I know for certain from talking with various police departments that domestic violence is the number one crime that we see in suburban areas and maybe even in some urban areas. Yes, and I, and I don't even like the name. Can we call it family violence? Do we have to call it domestic? There's nothing domestic about it. Yeah, well, actually, the appropriate name now is intimate partner violence because, I mean, that cuts across all lines of communication. Mm. It's intimate. It happens um, in every community. There's no community exempt from it. Um, and it doesn't matter about income, whether high or low. Uh, women are running for their lives. Women are afraid, um, and it's it's a dirty secret. It's the hardest thing for a person to come to grips with is that your partner is not only physically abusive to you, maybe verbally abusive to you, maybe sexually abusive to you. And sometimes people live fairy tale lives, and they want to put on this front that everything is okay when they know behind closed doors it's not. And so what we're seeing is an uptake of women as they're coming into the emergency room, and they may come in with a medical complaint, and then with the safety net of the emergency room, then they may share, you know, they have bruises that cannot be explained, and they may say, sometimes my partner, he gets upset, he hits me, or I don't like the way he treats me, or I'm fearful for my life because the last time we were arguing, he threatened to kill me. I mean, these are very real concerns. Uh, The hardest part for a woman is to decide to leave. I know, and then it's the most dangerous because... To be honest, you know, people can talk women into leaving the situation till they're blue in the face, but unless right. they have an escape plan, that woman that's could right. be killed for trying to leave. That's right. And and, and that's why we, we tell women quietly, quietly to make a plan and a backup plan, because once they acknowledge that they are leaving, that's when they're really at risk for being um, killed. So they really really have to make it. So Sharon Moles, what I'm hearing from you, 203-333-9422, if you want to be part of this conversation. What I'm hearing from you is that women have got to escape from a domestic violence situation the way they would escape from a prison camp, in secret. In secret. They've got to dig tunnels and figure out how they're going to get out on the other side. That's right. And, And then you have to have a place to go. And so I try to look at safety nets. I mean, there's a lot of numbers. There's a lot of programs out there. But I say to women, the number you want to remember is 911. Um, That is the emergency number. Call 911 and say, help, I need help. Um, And to escape, come into an emergency room um, because you can use a a medical complaint Mm. to get yourself out of harm's way Get into the emergency room, and we'll do our best to try to support you to the next step, to the next level. Oh, that's uh, good to know, Sharon. So, in other words, if somebody is in a, if somebody listening to us right now is in a situation where you're afraid, uh, you're going to say something like, um, I have a pain here or an injury mm-hmm. here. I can't walk. I need to mm-hmm. go to the ER. I think I'm having a heart attack. doesn't matter what it is. And then when you get there, you need to be alone with some treating somebody or other and say to them, I'm here 
because I'm afraid of my husband. Now, then what is the ER supposed to do when they hear about it? What are they supposed to do? Well, the ER would immediately call social work. And the advantage that we have here at Yale is that we have the availability of social workers 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So there's always a social worker on site. And then what we would do is take it to the next step. Where is she at? What are her resources? Is there family that she can go to? Um, is she interested in a referral for a shelter, mm. um, a domestic violence shelter? Are those secret? We- Um, Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Of course they are. Mm -hmm. And we work hand in hand with all our community uh, resources as collaborators for the safety needs of women. And that's an important issue for us. Um, And then we have a wonderful medical team that they're very, very supportive when we say, you know, it's going to take us time to work with this particular woman to find a safety place for her to be at. And sometimes they come with their children. Mm -hmm. You always have to remember children are witnessing this. I know. And so it's not just a plan for herself. It may be a plan for her and her children. Um, And then, as I said, then once we call those resources, then if they go into a shelter, that is all confidential. Um, That is all confidential. So the shelter sites are confidential. So we're talking with Sharon Moles, who is the lead social worker at Yale New Haven Hospital. We're talking about domestic violence, there's a hotline, but what Sharon is saying is the only hotline you really need to remember is 911. Uh, There's also a Spanish uh, coalition in case Spanish is your first language or someone that you know, Spanish is their first language. So don't worry about that as an impediment. Um, And then there is the website itself, ctcadv.org. But the bottom line is Sharon is saying, look, if you're in trouble and you're afraid, or you know somebody who is, uh, show up at an ER Figure out a way to be alone with some practitioner some way, and you can probably do that, right? I mean, Sharon, how would you you give an excuse to somebody that wanted to get rid of their shadow if their abuser was stalking them at the ER as well? What would you say to them? Well, for the triage perspective is that there's several things that you can do. You can let that triage nurse know. help yeah but what you if you can can't say, what if you can't say help because the guy is right at your elbow what do you do about so, that so you know what this is being very innovative um if you have a pen with you write it so you're not even talking uh-huh put it on the you're palm of your talking. hand and make sure that's they right. see it mm-hmm. that's right so that clearly there's some innovative things that you want to let that person know who's assessing you that there's more to this story, that um, I, I, I need help. And then what that person will do, and we have a very convenient way of doing it, is that, oh, I'm sorry, you have to sit here while we take our patient um, mm. into another room for further medical evaluation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that gets that person out of harm, immediate harm's way. And then we can put her in the safety net of an emergency room. And we've done this. Um, we've done this. And then we can tell the person, I'm sorry, right now you have to wait out here because we 
always need to talk with our patients and to evaluate them medically alone. So you need to sit, have a seat and so on until we can figure out what her plan, what does she want from us, what does she need from us. And so this is important. So we work hand in hand. And, of course, we do get people who are very irate because they don't want to be separated. And then that's when we may have to involve our protective service people, uh, our security team here, and say, I'm sorry, you have to because you can't come in. Sharon Molesby, stay on with us. You're listening to WICC. I want to continue this very important conversation about ways in which people who are experiencing domestic violence can escape uh, right in plain sight, literally escape in plain sight. Uh, Sharon, will you stay with us? I want to come right back. Yes. Thank you so much. Sharon Moles on the Lisa Wexler Show, 203-333-9422. We'll be right back. Voted Westport Lifestyle Reader's Choice for Best Radio Show. The Lisa Wexler Show is back on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. On the air with us now is Sharon Moles, who is the lead so, who is the lead social worker at Yale New Haven Hospital. And what we're talking about is something that in all these years, in all these years of broadcasting, I didn't realize that there was an escape valve for victims of domestic violence, and that was simply showing up with a different excuse at your local ER and making sure that somebody there knows that you need help. Sharon, welcome back to the show. Okay. So, Sharon, I mean, how often does this really happen to you where you are are doing a shift or you're on call and you hear that a woman has presented herself to the ER, sometimes with kids, and needs to not leave the ER to go home. She needs to immediately go elsewhere. Oh, this happens very, almost on a weekly basis. Really? I mean, it's a it's an incredible increase of women who are coming forward. Um, and as I said, it's, it's so hard for them to make that decision uh, because economically, uh, many times uh, they may be in a controlling relationship where the man controls the finances. So it's not just the physical, it's just the financial as well. I'm, I'm giving up everything. I'm giving up my furniture. I'm giving up my livelihood just to get away from this abusive partner. So people do come in. They find their way in. Sometimes they're not ready. Sometimes they may come in and say, I want to know what my options are. And then that's when we counsel them and we talk with them about developing a safety net for themselves, you know, putting things aside for themselves if they have friends or associates or coworkers that would allow them to do that, um, planning their escape, um, Mm -hmm. and then coming back to us when they're ready. Uh, So, as I said, it happens on a weekly basis that we have women that show up um, and some are ready to leave and some are still contemplating. Do you try and talk women into leaving if you see, if you as a social worker recognize signs of abuse? I don't try to talk them into it. I tell them the truth. It's not going to stop. I tell them the truth. It's only going to get worse. I tell them that there is no such good parent 
a good father if he's humiliating you, beating you, verbally abusing you in front of your children. He's not a good parent. Um, I tell them the truth, and they know it already. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's you, you leave the door open, and you invite them to walk through the door. And as I said, I have seen women have come back and say, no, I'm ready mm-hmm. because you're right. It didn't stop. You know, it's like a it's, just, it's a cycle of, of violence. I beat you up, then I bring you flowers. Um, you know, babe, if you were nicer, um, I wouldn't have to do this. Why do you keep making me do this to you? Uh. It's your behavior. It's your behavior. You're the cause of this. So they convinced the woman that, you know, you need to change your behavior, and then I will treat you better. And and then people have to come to grips with the reality. It's not about you. It's about him. Uh, He's beating you up because this is the way he interacts with you. Um, And there's nothing that you did to deserve to be treated with such inhumane treatment. So I leave the door open. But I tell people the truth. It's not going to stop. The the battered ego. You know, I remember this one line in Pretty Woman where, uh, which is a movie that I detest for a lot of reasons, even though it's superficially entertaining. Um, Mm -hmm. I detest it because I've had people on my show say that they know that women have gone into sex work because they've seen the movie and they believe this fairy tale Cinderella romance, which makes me Mm -hmm. vomit. But um, but there's one really good line in the movie where Julia Roberts says the bad stuff is so much easier to believe. And I think about that line a lot because I think it's really true. We as human beings, maybe even uniquely women, but maybe also men, whenever we hear something negative about ourselves, that sticks. And we tend yes. to dismiss compliments and we tend to dismiss niceties that people say to us as, oh, you're just saying that. But the bad stuff we never forget. And That's so... Right. And so for women that are victims of this campaign to smash their ego into bits, it's mm-hmm. very hard to reconstruct their self-esteem enough to say, I'm going to get out of here. In other words, because right. they feel so low. That's right. That's right. And women have, have shared that, you know, I, I have to be better because um, he gets upset um, if I'm talking on the phone and I'm trying to cook dinner and he's, he gets upset, um, didn't I tell you about talking on the phone? Or they begin to isolate that woman from her friends, isolate her from her family. You know, I am all that you have. Um, and so it's purposeful. It's purposeful. So the verbal abuse is purposeful because if I can take you down a peg or two and make you feel I am the best thing you got going on, then you're going to be totally relying on me because I'm all that you got. So now I can treat you any which way because I can control you. I can control all of your behaviors, your actions, your interactions, and all of the above. So sometimes when women come, they don't have any sense of self. Mm-hmm. Their their self-esteem is in the toilet uh, because that's what they had to believe about themselves in order to stay in this unhealthy relationship. So it takes a lot. It takes a team. It takes a village. Uh, it takes a lot of counseling for a person to separate themselves and to begin to believe I am deserving. Um, I don't need to be treated 
uh, with with such bad behaviors. I want my children to have a better opportunity. I don't want my daughters to grow up and believing that this is this is how you enter a relationship. This is how you have a relationship. I don't want my sons to grow up and think this is how you need to treat women. Yeah, so it right. becomes yeah. very difficult. Yeah. We're talking with Sharon Moles, who is a licensed clinical social worker. She's the lead social worker at Yale New Haven Hospital with a specialty of many, many decades in domestic violence. Sharon, at 203-333-9422 is our number. Sharon, how many beds do we have for women like this? Do you ever find that you need to turn women away, or will Connecticut always find a bed for somebody looking to escape? Well, that's a shelter issue, and what we would do is work with the, our, our domestic violence shelter services, the umbrella. We work with them hand-in-hand. Hand. The Hope Center, it, as I said, it take a village. And we have had some success in many times in working with the shelters. If the shelter did not have a bed readily available, sometimes they have put women in hotels um, to from a safety issue to okay. try to get them out of harm's way. Okay. Okay. So we won't turn a woman away. Women shouldn't be afraid that if they ask for help that there will not be a helping hand. There will be a yes. helping hand. That's what yes. I wanted to know. And are you seeing, Sharon Moles, are you seeing uh, more women come forward? In your, in your gut feel, are there more incidents of domestic violence or is there just more, are there, are there just more women coming forward? I mean, what's your sort of sense of the zeitgeist in terms of relationships? Well, I think that there's been an increase. I think that women are seeing more exposures. I mean, like you just said so candidly, I mean, women are dying. Okay, yeah, they are. so they it's are. on the news. They are. You know, it, it's it's this come out of the box. It's on TV that someone has been murdered at the hands of their partner. So I think women are beginning to see all of the signs are all around them. I think that we need to do more community announcements if you're feeling unsafe. Um, there is a way out. I think that we need to continue that pace. But women are coming forward. Well, I'm thankful about that. And, you know, with a couple of minutes we have left, Sharon, you're a social worker. What are some of the warning signs in a dating relationship that would lead you to have the hackles on the back of your neck go up and say, this is a red flag, get out of this relationship? The unhealthiness. Um, you know, babe, I like you, but, you know, you're kind of fat. Um, you know, you should do better. You know, you might need to work out a little bit better. Uh, babe, you know, you could cook my food like this. Babe, I really don't like your friends. Or oh, on second thought, I don't like your family either. Um, you know, I don't like to be around them. You do so much better when they're not here. They're not good for you. So people begin to take you, number one, apart, take your self-esteem apart. And we see a lot of adolescents are going through that in their relationship. Yes. They begin to isolate you from family and friends so you could totally rely on them. Um, those are the really key warning signs that help that person begin to realize I might not be in a healthy relationship. And then you got to get out before it's too late. Yes. That's right. That's you got to right. get out. You know, as yes. parents... This is something that we could be monitoring too. 
Yes. And and I think that even sometimes with kids in high school, you know, mm-hmm. because our self-esteem, particularly for girls, we work at it constantly. Yes. And being in an unhealthy relationship, you know, if that person is so critical of you, yeah. why are they with you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do they see good about you? You know, yeah. you might want to look at this. Yeah. This is not good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if I, you know, my kids, neither one of them dated in high school. They both started dating later. Um, but, um, and I never had this with my daughter. She just, her first boyfriend ended up being her husband. He's a great guy, no complaints, period, and we adore him. Uh, my son has his heart broken a couple of times, but not abusively so. But I think mm-hmm. if I was ever a parent, Sharon, uh, and I saw my kid, I don't care how old they were, in that kind of a relationship, I would be a worrier. I, I would I would risk my relationship with them in order mm-hmm. to have them stop their relationship with someone else. And I know a lot of parents are afraid to do that, but I would not be afraid. Yes, because, you know, this is before the hidden starts. Correct. It's the psychological. It's abuse. the psychological. Sharon Moles, thank you so much for joining us. 911 is the number you want if you're a victim of domestic violence and stop by an ER and get some help. We'll be right back. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.